Welcome to Letters to Women, a podcast that explores the feminine genius. Today's world is confused about the very basics, the value of human life, the meaning and purpose of our sexuality, why beauty matters, and what exactly constitutes this true freedom. In this episode, I'm talking with Mary Sheehan Warren. She teaches consumer behavior and fashion marketing at the Catholic University of America. And she's also the leader of the Fashion Intelligence Project, which is an organization dedicated to human dignity and sustainable fashion consumption. We talk about what's changed in recent years when it comes to our culture and the way we communicate as women, defining our sense of personal style, and why human dignity should be valued at all costs. This episode was brought to you today by Studio Headphones. Use the code LETTERS15 to receive 15% off your purchase of your next set of headphones and enjoy Studio's free worldwide shipping. Today, we're welcoming to the show Mary Sheehan Warren. She currently teaches consumer behavior and fashion marketing at Catholic University of America, and she leads the Fashion Intelligence Project, which is an organization dedicated to human dignity and sustainable fashion consumption. Mary, welcome to the show. It's so good to have you on. Thank you very much. It's great to be on. So today we're going to be talking about fashion. Not only the fact that what we wear personally communicates something about who we are and about our dignity, but also that the clothes hanging in our closet should promote the dignity of men and women around the world, those who are behind the making and the production of the clothes. But before we dig into fashion, Mary, can you tell us a little bit about your story as a Catholic woman for people who haven't got the chance to encounter your work? Well, first of all, I am, yes, Catholic. I am a work in progress, though. So <laughs> I was I was born into a, a family big Irish Catholic family. I'm the oldest of 10 kids. Fun fact, we're, we 10 were born in 10 and a half years. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so we're very close. Actually, it's it's really interesting. I mean, you don't see it when it's happening, but, you know, now that I'm older, I look back and I realize, wow, we all get along, <laughs> all 10 of us. We all live within about 100 miles of each other, and um, it's awesome. I had, I have, I have, my mom's still alive, but my dad was just an amazing person, really brilliant. Um, my mom was a traditional stay-at-home mom, also actually brilliant, as we learned. Talk about feminine genius. Boy, my mom had genius, genius on top of genius <laughs> because she could be, she had this incredible sense of humor about raising these seven boys and three girls. And teaching us the faith was a really big part of it. And she just, she just loved Jesus. And um, another thing about her, she is a third order Carmelite. And so her nourishment came, I mean, not just from mass and the sacraments, which that, that's what you need, that's it. But uh, she would also study the writings of St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila, and teach classes on this. Not to us, of course. We wouldn't sit still long enough, and that's before (laughs) homeschooling. Otherwise, I think she would have done that. But she she is a pretty deep woman. So I had this amazing example. You know, of course, I think I'm typical in that at some point I had to kind of accept the faith as my own. You know, that probably happened in college, I would say, that it it really hit me that this has to be something I internalized. So like I say, I'm a continual work in progress. What a woman, your mom. Holy smokes. That's so beautiful to see her dive into her spirituality too. That's so great. You published your first book, uh, It's So You, Fitting Fashion to Your Life. And you talked about everything that you learned about appearances during that first 20 years of your career. And then you recently wrote a book 
The Thoughtful Girl's Guide to Fashion, Communication, and Friendship. Between the publications of those two books, what have you seen change in the world when it comes to what we think about appearances? And what trends have you noticed in today's culture surrounding communication, but more importantly, community too? Oh boy, that is quite a question. So when I wrote It's So You for my peers, and let's just say my peers were the 20, late 20, 30, 40 somethings, um, maybe in situations similar to mine, you know, living a vocation to marriage, family, working either in or outside the home, a lot of people would ask me, when are you going to write something for the teenagers? Mm. And I had early teens. I had, you know, 10 years ago, I guess my oldest was 16. I thought, yeah, I need to write something for the teenagers. So I sat down and I wrote and I wrote and I thought I had this fantastic book about five years ago. And then the Lord must have just suppressed it for a moment because things really, and I would say it was about five years ago, really started changing quickly. Um, In fact, there's a difference between my teenagers of 10 years ago and my current, uh, my two, I have five kids and the twins down there at the bottom who are both 16 are facing a world that's really different. Um, And I think the big obvious answer to that is that, yes, there's social media, but you have to place social media into something bigger. We have a very superficial understanding of the world right now. I don't mean we as in, you know, the, the humanity. I mean, we as in anyone who is engaged in culture, anyone who is um, engaged in social media, anyone who's consuming news is really only kind of getting the tip of the iceberg. And I don't have to go into preaching on on the superficiality of media, but it's becoming the reality. I don't, I'm not best at articulating exactly what that means, but I can see it with the kids that the digital presence that they have is sometimes more important than the real presence that they have. There's a lot of attention paid to their trail that they leave. So their photos and their photos of their world and their selfies, what they say, how snarky and funny they can be. And um, it wasn't like that even five years ago. There was just this division. There was your life and you had fun and you went to school and you played your sports. And then, you know, maybe you would go online for something, maybe to connect with people. Now there's kind of a weaving together of these two worlds and all the things that come with that. I, I won't describe it. I'll just say that I needed that extra five years to, to really enhance the book and improve the book, I'm really glad because I, if I'd written this book and published it five years ago, it would be completely out of date right now. Um, so the book definitely addresses the ideas of your digital trail. So, you know, what you say online, how you communicate online, your social media accounts, how to digest the incoming information as well. So other social media accounts, um, texts, the news, all the fake news that's out there. It's, it's a really different world. Yep. Yeah. yeah, a lot has changed in a little time, that's for sure. In this book, you talk about how fashion communicates something about who we are, but it's not just what we're wearing. I love how you're also talking about things that you mentioned, like digital communication, but also things, deeper things, like discovering your mission and your purpose in life, or things that are practical, like 
listening and improving your listening skills and conversation. And I love how this book takes a very holistic approach to appearances and human dignity, not only just in what we're wearing, but how we're presenting ourselves and how we're interacting with the world today. Yes, you have to think holistically, I think. You have to begin by really knowing yourself and understanding your value, who you are. You are a woman created in the image and likeness of God. And from there, you can shape your messaging. From there, you can use all these tools that are out there, because that's really what they are. You know, your ability to speak, your ability to write, what you wear, right? So these communicate a lot about you. And I think you really have to understand who you are before you begin. Let's dig into fashion and clothing a little bit. Can you talk about the difference between what fashion is and what clothing is? So I teach this in my fashion marketing class. It's one of my favorite parts, the way beginning, some of the first classes when I talk about the emergence of what we call Western fashion and how, you know, archaeologists and anthropologists can go back, you know, tens of thousands of years and find evidence of clothing, actually through the study of body louse. But anyway, that's another, that's another story. <laughs> we've, been, we've been covering ourselves for a long time. So we often speak in terms of clothing as being, you know, a physical barrier. But you very quickly have to jump to the idea that clothing is also a bit of a psychological barrier. It kind of defines where my space ends and your space begins. So there's like a, a sense of protection psychologically as well. Now, with our current fashion, what we're experiencing now, there's a lot of other functions. So primarily, we communicate that we're part of something. So we're part of, you know, now, we're part of these times now, we're part of, you know, the Western world, specifically, you know, I dress as if I am from, you know, the mid-Atlantic region or what have you. So uh, further along, a lot of fashion historians, anthropologists have said that people dress as part of a style tribe. So a style tribe, the idea that you're identifying with your reference group, with this group out there, your friends, but also an image of something, an ideal of something. Um, this is why people like Kim Kardashian or Ariana Grande can hold such sway in fashion. They It's very image-driven, and people want to be a part of that. There's this mystique. So expression, when I say self-expression, happens on in, well, in many ways and on many levels. So, so that's the difference. That's fashion, whereas clothing is the covering and all the basic things that go along with that. Great. So how does that fit into the life of a Catholic woman? Why should a Catholic woman care about the way that she's presenting herself to others and, and have a awareness of fashion and clothing as well? As a preface, I would say that a Catholic woman, a Christian, a human being, mm -hmm. <laughs> should be concerned about how they communicate using any tool. So you should be concerned about how you, how you talk, how, how you listen so that you can talk. But something about fashion is just that much more special. First of all, it's highly visual so that before we even open our mouths, we're communicating things about ourselves. So, for example, our sense of self-worth. Who do we see ourselves as being? Our attitudes towards a situation. So the situation we find ourselves in, the context. So whether it be a, maybe we're at a funeral 
or we're with friends or on a date or visiting family. Also, uh, it communicates our aspirations, what we hope to achieve, right? Our attitudes towards other people. So before we even begin to speak, that is happening because we're visual and people are taking in information about us and about the choices we made. What did we decide to wear for this particular situation? All items of clothing, not just individual bits, but when they're put together into an ensemble, communicate things. Of course, there are associations that we develop over time and in our culture, but they're strong. They're strong associations. And a lot of times when I speak to a group of um, especially teenagers, they kind of nod and smile when I make that point about, you know, you kind of do judge a book by its cover. You know, you're actually also reading the table of contents and getting a few choice passages when you take in someone's fashion. But they, they laugh nervously until I show them a photo. It's this photo I use, this just a stock photography of this guy in a pair of cargo shorts and socks and sandals. It's really awful. <laughs> from a fashion point of view. And I put it up there, and they giggle. They always giggle. And then I say, what if I told you this is the guy you're going to marry? And usually there's gas. And I say, wait a minute. Don't judge a book by it. It's covered, of course. You know, everybody laughs even more because that's exactly what they did. Right. They judged according to how this guy chose uh, to, to wear clothing. Yeah. How can women go about finding in this book you talk about the idea of a fashion personality or really defining the set of clothing that they're going to go to that expresses who they are as a child of God as a woman as a woman living out the feminine genius how do you go about shaping that especially in today's culture where there's a ton there's a lot of um, outside sources telling you how you should look or how you should dress yes there definitely are so Start again with that core, you know, what is my mission and what is my vocation and what sorts of things do I want to communicate about myself, about my attitude towards my own vocation. So beyond that, when we're getting into specifics, I like to teach women about certain uh, styles that kind of fall into different genres. So some women really enjoy being feminine, being um, maybe a little bit softer with colors, and maybe they enjoy more traditional prints like florals and things like that. And so getting maybe kind of aligning clothing choices to go with those sorts of tastes. We call that a romantic fashion personality. It doesn't even have to use the word romantic. You could use any word that connotes that. But you do pick up on that sort of personality in all these little pests that are out there. If you go on the internet, type in fashion personality, you'll see these little tests and quizzes. And they have a lot of overlap because, yeah, a lot of women um, might have more of a romantic fashion personality, or maybe like me, they have more of a classic, I have more of a classic, um, actually come to <laughs> kind of boyish personality. I, I like, I like cute shoes, like Oxfords and and I like pants. I do. I admit it. I love trousers and blazers and things like that. Nobody would yeah. ever describe me as having a, a romantic fashion personality. Um, that doesn't mean that one is better than the other. It's just sort of it's a style. So uh, we can say there's three, four, five, ten styles. It doesn't really matter. These tests actually really does, 
don't matter. It's just finding that genre and being able to put a name to it and then and then choose things according to what you know your style is. So, you know, once I know, you know, I'm classic or romantic, then choosing fashion is a lot easier. Yeah, I love how there's a couple fun quizzes that are also in this Thoughtful Girls Guidebook to kind of discern your fashion personality. But I love how it's presented as just how you just did, which is there's no necessarily right or wrong. Or this is this is the this is the one way that Catholic women should dress, and just like there's multiple many ways to live out the feminine genius. There's many ways to express yourself as a as a Catholic woman through your clothing choices. Yes, absolutely. It's it, there's no one right way. In the same way that there's so many different sorts of personalities and right. temperaments and styles. So um, yeah, it, it's the fun part of fashion too. <laughs> right. We're taking a quick break from today's conversation to hear from today's sponsor for this episode, Studio Headphones. Studio is revolutionizing the way that people see headphones. They're not just a tech device, but they're also an accessory. I recently picked up a pair of their wireless Bluetooth headphones. I was looking for a pair of minimalist wireless headphones to wear during labor and when I get back to running after the littlest linger makes an appearance. The charging case that the headphone came with not only is a great compact size, but it also lets me bring the headphones along with an additional two to three charges. So whether you're on the run in the spring weather or you're listening to Letters to Women around the house, do it without wires. Use the code LETTERS15 to receive 15% off your purchase and enjoy Studio's free worldwide shipping. And now back to our conversation about defining your own personal sense of style. Are there some key staples that any woman should have hanging in her closet as go-tos? I love this question because I, I get asked this a lot, and uh, it's the same three staples. So number one, a mirror. <laughs> so, <laughs> this so is hanging, a good thing to have. Hanging, but, well, yeah, it could be hanging on the door. Um, but, you know, to a full-length mirror, actually, I meant to say, because you really need to kind of see the, the full look when you walk out the door. Um <laughs> Another thing would be a very comfortable, well-fitting, flesh-tone bra. Yes, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, you just get that one reliable bra. When you find it, buy two, you know, or maybe even three, depending on, yeah. <laughs> so that is definitely one. And then the third thing is related to fashion personality. Just kind of find that, it might take a bit of a search, but find that uh, one signature accessory that kind of sums it up for you it's the thing that just I don't know I mean kind of says something about your style I'm making this tone of voice because I'm thinking of my grandmother who wore a charm bracelet and uh I just how I kind of remember her (laughs) yeah this amazing charm bracelet so um, for some people, it might be a ring, it could be a necklace, it could be just the, the fact that you wear a scarf or the fact that you wear maybe a certain kind of shoe. And, of course, these things can change. If they change too much, then it's not a signature um, or even a signature scent. Sometimes that's, mm. that's fun as well, as long as it's a good scent. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, anyway, so, yeah, something that just kind of makes it, you you know people say oh yeah that's so you and then of course there's tons of other things but I'll spare you the list (laughs) (laughs) it's a reason to pick up the book right (laughs) right exactly (laughs) 
So we live in a culture today that is very focused on physical appearances. And you mentioned this, that social media is something that is very present in most of our lives. And it invites us to compare our stories, but also thanks to Instagram and a couple other social media platforms, it invites us to compare our closets too to the women around us. So how do we keep this balance of being conscious and intentional? Yeah, this is hard. (laughs) This is a rough question. (laughs) Being conscious and intentional about our fashion choices, or maybe it's our makeup routine or our self-care routines too, but without being vain. So I think the best thing to do is think in terms of purpose. When it moves away from purpose and turns into, you know, a lot of self-examination, then then that's probably a sign you're being vain. So um, an an example would be, you know, you sit down in the morning after you shower, you, you're going to look in the mirror. You're going to look in the mirror long and hard. You're going to put on your makeup. You're going to walk over to your full-length mirror that I just told you to get, and you're going to double-check yourself, front, back, side. And then you're going to walk out the door, and you're going to forget about it. Mm. So the idea is when you're on your way to work or school, every time you pass reflective glass, are you are you checking yourself out, right? And there is a difference between checking to make sure that your skirt's not tucked up in your underwear and <laughs> checking to see, hmm, yeah, look at me. <laughs> so, right. Um, things like that. Just, you know, how many times can you, you know, resist a mirror? And um, this isn't meant to be, you know, unnecessarily hard on ourselves. It's kind of a, a way of keeping perspective and, and yes, living the virtue of humility. Um, right. As we know, fashion can bring out every single vice in existence. And, but I always like to say that the flip side is that vice, that, I'm sorry, vice, that fashion can be an opportunity to live any particular virtue. Right. So humility could be lived, you know, by resisting that reflective, you know, surface or whatever. The thing about selfies is probably where you were headed to on this idea of, humility and, you know, living in a, in a very visual space like yeah. social media. I get that some platforms are just, you know, they just lend themselves to lots of selfies. And, okay, I, I mean, I know people who have these great accounts. I think that the, the leaders, and this could be, you know, the Christian women who, you know, have been made aware of this feminine genius. I think these leaders and influencers can maybe decrease the number of selfies as an example and say, hey, you know, there's other things besides what I'm wearing. Mm-hmm. Um, the magazine Verily did a really nice job with that. You know, so um, their um, styling editor, Lily, um, she would do this amazing series, you know, her, her uh, selfie might be in one post, you know, in one article, but then it was always within context and there'd be other articles and other things that went much deeper than fashion. So I think there needs to be a little bit of a, a revolution and have people kind of back away, get away from the selfie mentality and, and look elsewhere, you know, take some photos of your friends. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, you know, or street fashion. That's always fun to look at. So. Yeah. yeah, I love thinking about humility. St. Teresa of Avila talks about humility as seeing who we are in relation to God. 
and just this right. recognition that you know that we're more we're we're daughters of God. That's something that really can't accurately be expressed in a selfie. And so when you're looking at things like your Instagram feed or maybe what you're saving on Pinterest, there's a beauty in recognition that there's that you have interests, you have desires, you have passions, you have things that the Lord is leading to you and adventures he's inviting you on. And that's not going to be summed up in a selfie. And so, yeah, it's, it's good. Right. It is good to turn that camera around on the other side of the, of the phone or the, the camera and be able to look at the world in the way that you're perceiving it too. And, and also just all in relation to God. Oh, I so agree. Yes, definitely. We need St. Teresa of Avila right now to come Amen. comment on what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> Bring some reform down in here. <laughs> <laughs> so fashion is about self-expression. It's it's an art and it's a tool that we use to communicate. But eventually we're we're going to have to spend some money on clothing. So how can we spend money on clothing in a way that doesn't leave us feeling guilty or cringing every time that we have to go purchase something? Oh, yes. That's another really great question because even when you hit equilibrium, eventually you, you know, you're faced with a, a shopping moment and wondering, you know, how much is too much. I think planning will prevent a lot of the angst that comes along with guilt. Mm-hmm. So every season or when the season starts to come and you realize, oh, wow, I've been wearing these heavy clothes. The weather's getting a little warmer. Time to think of spring. Do a closet audit. So actually look in the closet, don't take anything for granted, right down to the underwear, and see what will work for the next season. And here's the tricky part. Figure out what maybe could enhance the wardrobe that you currently have, and and write a little bit of a shopping list. The funny thing about fashion is you can't be precise. You can't say, I will buy, you know, three pairs of trousers, each in these three different colors or what have you. You have to be a little bit more general, a little bit open-minded, because um, fashion is really actually not all that um, consumer-oriented. Well, it is consumer-oriented, but it's not as individualized as we like to say. You get a plan in mind, and you think, okay, I'm going to get A, B, and C, and those things can actually be kind of hard to find. It's true. So you do have to think in terms of what's out there. You have to plan ahead a little bit. And so when you are shopping and you're working according to a plan, you can take heart in the fact that you put thought in it. And you could pray over your plan and say, um, Lord, you know, please help me with this, (laughs) with this planning. I will say, uh, I don't know where I learned this. I know it wasn't my own idea. You know, in the dressing room, you know, ask for a little guidance. Say, Lord, okay, you got to help me here. Should I buy this or not? What's really funny about that is you'll zip it and you'll realize, oh, it's not zipping all the way, even though it's my size. Well, there's my answer, That's right? That's <laughs> so, <laughs> so if you have a lively dialogue anyway, and you're talking and saying, oh, help me out of this mess, you know, or when you're driving, you say, oh, Lord, help me find a parking spot. Why not say, oh, please help me decide if this is the right thing to get. Mm-hmm. So I think that goes a long way. Just keep up keep up the discussion. (laughs) Yeah. And the Lord wants to be invited into those little daily parts of our lives too. It's like, he doesn't want to just be the the Lord that we call upon in times of really dire trouble or that we forget to thank in moments of joy. But like, he wants to be like, all right, Lord, like the swimsuit season is coming up and I need, like, I'm going to need some help. And he wants to be a part of that. Yes. 
I, I really agree with that. Yep. So you're currently leading the Fashion Intelligence Program, which is an organization that's dedicated to sustainable fashion consumption. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Well, I became aware of fast fashion and the entire um, frenzied process that goes from sourcing through design, manufacturing, and sale uh, soon after the Rana Plaza incident. Mm. Or not incident, it was a catastrophe. It was a horrible tragedy. Um, and as background, it was when a factory collapsed in Bangladesh, killing about well, about 1,200 oh workers, mostly young females, who had come out of the countryside into the city. This is Dhaka, and were working horrible under horrible conditions with you know near nothing wages. And as a matter of fact, the story is worse than just what I said. There was a lot of corruption, a lot of pressure on the part of women to stay in the building when they knew it was going to come down. But the worst part, it, not well, one extremely disturbing part as a Western consumer is that a lot of the clothes that came out of that particular factory may have been clothes that I've worn, you know, from labels that I've worn. Yeah. Um, because there were many producers there, American producers. Um, it seemed like it was mostly uh, American, British, and some continental producers. And um, it, it's a, it was a disgrace. And I think it woke up a lot of people. There was a lot of publishing. There were a lot of books that came out from that, and documentaries. And um, it, it shook me. I can't say that it was um, it was certainly eye-opening, but I knew through my Christian faith that this is the sort of thing that happens when you live according to greed. So these companies, you know, were, were watching out for the bottom line and dismissing the human rights of its people. Right. And um, the thing that's driving it, however, is the consumer. We want cheap fashion, we want a lot of it, and we want it now. Yep. And in fact, I had a little bit of a, a crisis. I thought to myself, wait a minute, I feel guilty because I'm part of this whole Western fashion consumption thing. I'm telling people to go out and, and, and buy stuff. And um, one of my colleagues pulled me aside and she says, no, no, Mary, wait a minute. You've been saying less is more, less is more live off eight to 10 things. You know, that's one of my, one of my recommendations in the book. And she's yeah. like, that, that would be the solution. And I stopped and I thought, Oh, Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought I already have a solution. I already figured the solution out is less is more and, you know, get stretch out the time between your purchases by higher quality over lower quality, try to mix and match. And um, so I thought, you know what, I'll take it and I will um, kind of phase in this idea that this is also sustainable. So the Fashion Intelligence Project was kind of a, a reawakening for me, and it's a collaboration between really myself, the organization that I work for called Success and Style, and my fashion marketing students at the Catholic University of America. Mm. So um, I can tell you about Success and Style if you have time. Yeah, yeah, I'd <laughs> love to hear about it. Okay, so Success and Style um, is an organization that began as a completely different organization back in the 90s, actually back in 1996. We wanted to bring like basic fashion 
education to women of all walks of life. So at-home women, women who might be out in the workforce, just trying to show them how to put together a, a wardrobe that helps reflect their dignity as women. Well, we would do these amazing closet cleanouts. We would either individually or at seminars, people would bring clothes, and we'd talk about how well it did or didn't work for them. We were kind of a what-not-to-wear organization before what-not-to-wear. <laughs> so we found that people would say to us, hey, wait, take this clothing away and you know, donate it to a charity. So after a while, we had all this clothing sitting around in our houses and thought, wow, we've got to do something. And my partners, Jeanette Kendall and Patty Frank Macaro, said, I know, we know what to do. We will start an organization where we bring the clothing to the people who truly need it and actually started with women. So they opened a little studio and um, social workers would bring, you know, former prisoners or women coming out of shelters to the studio and um, they would dress the women um, for work. You know, they'd give them the entire outfit right down to the shoes and then the hosiery. And um, it, this, this model expanded so that now we have six studios wow. and four uh, consignment or thrift shops that fund those studios. So the reason why I mentioned my partner's names is because <laughs> – I actually moved out of the area. So the organization is based in Maryland, and I had moved to Wisconsin when things got really hard, you know, in the beginning when you're trying to get 501c3 status right. and you're, you know, carting clothes around in your car. So <laughs> like, I would say I wasn't there during the transformation of the organization, but I came back, and now I work um, in one of those studios. So. Um, the, the idea is that this is truly sustainable in every sense of the word. Right. I love what a holistic, we've been talking about holistic views of fashion and I love how that views the human person as worthy and good and deserving and and just inherently by the fact that they're created in the image of God. And I think sometimes when we think about sustainable fashion, we think, okay, I need to go buy, um, you know, this expensive thing from, from this one small business. And there is a place for that. And if your budget allows for it, that's so beautiful. But this is more than that. This is more than just buying clothing this is also supporting and seeing the the people behind the clothing and seeing what good clothing can and fashion can do in in men and women's lives that's right yeah i i completely agree yep thanks so much for sharing that mission that's that's incredible where can listeners find out first more about your new book thoughtful girl's guide to fashion communication and friendships and then also where can they find out more about your talks your workshops your projects and things like that well, just about everything you'd want to know about that, me, the book, et cetera, can be found at my website, which is MarySheehanWarren.com. Uh, the Fashion Intelligence Project can be found at exactly that, FashionIntelligence.org. And um, the book can also be found on Amazon, and my publisher is Tan Books. Anyone can reach me and talk to me directly on the website and email me your fashion questions or anything. Just talk to me. Say hi. Oh, I love it. Perfect. I'll plug these all into the show notes, too. So if you're listening and you want to check those out, go to oldfashionedgirlblog.com and you can find Mary's episode and, and find all those resources. 
Mary, the one question that I asked for women at the end of the podcast talks about the feminine genius and really kind of encompasses the fact that we all live this out uniquely in our daily life. So how do you embrace the feminine genius in your daily life as a woman striving to uphold human dignity and sustainable fashion consumption in today's appearance-driven culture? Well, since I've been answering holistically, I'm going to go even more holistically on you and step back and say that anything I do, all of this work, really kind of have to place in context. I have to, I have to, in some ways, just not take myself so seriously, right? So <laughs> I have to realize that I, I, my vocation is, of course, first as a wife and as a mother um, and as a professional I know I must do my work well, um, have humility, that it's not all coming from me. And here's the hardest thing, Um, again, because there are a lot of demands on my time, I have to wake up in the morning and prioritize my day. So um, I have to think about, you know, who needs me and, um, you know, what work needs to be done, what sort of attention do I need to give and where. And I try, I desperately try, sometimes I fail spectacularly, but I desperately try to do it in prayer and think, okay, here's what the day looks like, this is how I'm going to structure it, and not get so caught up in, you know, the fun of fashion and the seriousness of sustainable fashion, and and keep it in context, and if another voice needs to come along and preach sustainable fashion or write books on communication, then, yeah, you know what? I need to step aside because I'm a tool and the mission is much bigger than me. So um, that has taken a while to learn, believe it or not. I'm I'm 53 years old now and I'm learning very quickly. I just lost my dad about um, 18 months ago and I'm realizing that life is short. And the thing that people are going to remember you for are the one-on-one relationships you had with them, not, you know, mom wrote a book or mom had a business or, wow, she taught undergraduates how to, you know, talk about sustainable fashion. So always in the context of vocation, always in the context of, you know, this, this, this gift of mission, but that this gift of mission is just that it's, it's a gift. So I would say um, maybe in the particular way I do it, involving the particular vocations that I have, makes it feminine. Yeah. Hopefully feminine genius. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my gosh, yes. (laughs) Yes. I love how there's such this beautiful sensitivity to your family, your vocation, and then also this greater mission of recognizing the dignity in other people. No, holy smokes, Mary, you're living the feminine genius, 100%. (laughs) I try. (laughs) Keep striving. It's so beautiful. It's so good. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on the show, for the work that you've done and and authoring these books, but also the work that you do for just promoting human dignity and the work that you do with your family and the mission that you're on. Uh, Yeah, thanks so much, Mary. This has been so beautiful. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's podcast episode. Head over to oldfashionedgirlblog.com where you can find the show notes for today's episode, including the Thoughtful Girl's Guide to Fashion, Communication, and Friendship, Mary's latest book, more information about the Fashion Intelligence Program, 
links to Mary's website and links to Verily Magazine, which is an incredible resource that Mary mentioned in today's episode. Are you subscribed to Letters to Women? If not, you should subscribe today because you don't want to miss out on any of the upcoming episodes. If you have a spare minute, I'd love for you to leave a review on iTunes too. Reviews help other people find the podcast and they're a lot of fun to read and to go through. One of my favorite reviews that I've been reading lately is from C. Palmy. She writes, I absolutely love this podcast. It's so friendly and familiar and I love hearing so many different ideas and perspectives. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Until next time, be not afraid.